This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Happy Friday! How you be? It's a home game weekend for your Buffalo Bills. Feels like it's been a month since this team has played at Highmark Stadium. Oh, wait a minute. It has been. It's been uh, it, on Sunday. It will be a day shy of three weeks. So it's almost a month, and it certainly feels longer. But uh, so glad for the team to be home in front of their fans here in week five against the Stillers. And we should tell you this week's game sponsor is Great Lakes Cancer Care Collaborative. Together, we're bigger than cancer. And Steve, looks like it's going to be a good weather day for the most part. Might be cloudy, but 57, 58 degrees. Doesn't look like there's any precip. So that's good. But it looks like the Bills will also be without some starters. And Coach McDermott addressing the media this morning and also was on WGR 550 earlier today and basically ruled out of Sunday's game. Christian Benford, which was expected. Jay Kumro, which was expected. But then Dawson Knox and Jordan Poyer. They're out as well for Sunday's game, which means in the secondary, you will have, again, the combination of Jaquan Johnson and Damar Hamlin, who lined up together back in week three against the Dolphins when both starting safeties were missing. Poyer's dealing with a rib injury. Dawson Knox has multiple injuries that he's dealing with, bumps and bruises and all kinds of stuff. Neither of those guys have practiced this week. So, you know, they'll be without them. And going into the weekend, there are still other question marks, most notably Tremaine Edmonds, who was again watching practice today right at the end of the media viewing portion uh, in a sweatshirt there on the left for our viewers at home watching on MSG. There's Poyer on the right. <laughs> and Poyer's in there also in a sweatsuit. Well, they're wearing baseball hats, not helmets. Right. Now, Isaiah McKenzie has not yet been ruled out for Sunday. As of this morning, he was still in the concussion protocol. Yesterday at practice, he was wearing the red non-contact jersey. Today, practicing without it. So not in the red non-contact jersey at today's practice. So we'll see if that moves him a step further. We probably won't find out potentially, well, at the earliest, we'll find out if he's a possibility for Sunday when the Friday injury report comes out in a matter of hours. And if if for some reason he's listed as questionable, we'll probably not know until game day at the latest, obviously, if he has cleared the concussion protocol because that's where he is at this point in time. If he's up, they have four healthy receivers, relatively speaking. If he's down, they're down to Diggs, Davis, and Shakir. And in that case, you would have to call up a practice squad wide receiver, whether that's Tanner Gentry, Isaiah Hodgins, or the new guy they just signed this week to replace Tavon Austin, Ja'Quari Roberson, who I don't think – is an elevation just because he just got here. Well, yeah. You're not throwing him in a game, you know what I mean? So right. I would say it's down to Gentry and Hodgins. And the interesting thing about that decision, Steve, is how much are you factoring special teams into the role of the fifth receiver? Because I would argue Tanner Gentry 
kind of fits more of what Kumaro does on special teams specifically. Right, he covers kicks. Yeah. Than maybe Hodgins does. On offense, Hodges. you probably lean Hodgins. Yeah, Hodgins is is not a kick coverer or a kick protector or anything like that, or a kick returner. He tried in the preseason. We watched him, and he, he kind of looked a little... He was out of. He was uncomfortable. Yeah, like a fish and, out of water a little bit. Yeah, he was uncomfortable, and uh, he's doing it for the first time. And yeah, and he is not. Isaiah Hodgins, unless maybe he did it in high school, has never tackled anybody in his life. So that's a problem. So I don't know if Tanner Gentry is any different. It's a problem. Yeah. The fifth wide receiver spot this week. If if McKenzie's gone, if McKenzie doesn't activate. It's a problem. Well, then you might have to call both of those guys. You have to elevate Absolutely. them both. That's right. You might do both of them. And, yeah, they're thin. You're also down to two tight ends. It's Tommy Sweeney Tommy and Quentin Sweeney, Morris. Quentin Morris, yeah. So that could play into now, you know, things Reggie as well. Reggie Gilliam gives you a little flexibility with a tight end because he's a converted tight end. That is end. true. Good and point. He, and he has shifted around, and, and so he'll be up and active. He'll help. That's a good point. But he but he's crucial, and you're not going to want to go out there and have start having any combination of two of those guys, two wide receivers or tight ends. Any combination of those is catastrophic to me. You mean using them on the same play or going two tight end personnel? Either or? way, if you lose one of the tight ends and one of the wide receivers or two tight ends and two or two wide receivers, you're done. You're cooked. Yeah, you get really – Which is exactly what happened what in Miami. Can, yeah, what you can use in your playbook becomes truncated to a great degree. Well, so. you're asking a guy to just go out there and line up and get in somebody's way. Yeah. Um, it's a problem. It's a problem. I don't know what that. Yeah, this is that's. What do you do there? Because think about this, Steve. We know that for the majority of the time this season, they're an eleven personnel team. That means you got to have three wide receivers on the field. You know, so while that might be good for being shorthanded at tight end because you only got one tight end on the field on offense the whole time, you're also taxing those three healthy wide receivers that you do have. Yeah, ain't, ain't nobody rotating in for you. Some quick strike scoring drives would be enormously beneficial to the skill positions on offense. Well, that's, that's no different than every other day either, but still. What, so, all right, so let's, let's take that a step further for a second. What do you say to the possibility of, not a major role, but sprinkling in James Cook as a receiving option, lining him up out wide to maybe lighten the load of some of those guys? Well, I haven't seen any of that in any – I haven't seen it. Well, yeah, we've only seen it on college tape. That's the only place where we've seen it. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Yeah. So I wonder if Cook... You and I can say it. And we can, maybe we can speak it into existence. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, when you get this thin, you've got to look at all your options, and he is an option. He's a pretty polished route runner for a running back. I'm not saying he's a lifesaver, but he is an option on the roster. He is healthy, and... He's got great short area quickness and good straight line speed. I'm telling you, I'm still convinced if he's running that play that Zach Moss ran for 47 yards down the right sideline, it was a touchdown. Yeah, and I if mean, I remember I right, Thurman agreed with me last week. Yeah, maybe. I'm okay. I'm, that's fine. If if is a big word. It is a big so, word. You know, it's a short word, but a big would've, word. Woulda, coulda, shoulda, or even bigger. 
We'll see. Yeah, that that's right. And and that that would make some sense to me if they get into a spot where they need a, a go-to offensive set personnel combination, you go to two backs and you leave Singletary in the backfield and you bring in James Cook and use him as a wing back motion guy out of the slot, that kind of thing. Yeah, Swing I pass can see option, it. safety valve. I I don't know, but like I told you, we've been, you know, we watch practice all the time. We ain't we've seen that. You know, so yeah. uh yeah, he's still, and he he would love the opportunity, you know that. Oh yeah, because he's he wants to get on the field, and he can't. Every time he gets on the field, something bad happens to him. Right. So he's ready to shake that little, you know, quarter of a season of mishaps and move on with his career. So we'll see. Um, and it may be, you know, they they've always been big, and we've talked about a lot on getting these guys to earn what they get. Well, sometimes you earn it and sometimes it's thrust upon you because you're the last guy standing. And that may be the case you get to. I can see that. We're you're right. Close. I, I had forgotten about <laughs> – we had been talking about this all morning and I we hadn't really thought about James Cook as being a little bit of a safety net there. And, and he probably is in some regards. But you can't ask him to go in and play slot receiver. No, no, no. I'm just saying as a pass-catching option. But, but that's, the part, that's the problem, though. It – we're not thin at running back. If you go thin at tight end and thin at slot receiver or outside receiver and you want him to come in, that means you're not going to do any of that stuff. You're going to run with two backs or run him as a single back or, or and do something with two tight ends, that kind of thing. Or motion him out wide. Right. But, you know, yeah, that's how, that's how precarious it is. We're talking about stuff like this um, week four, week five of the season. It's – they're going to have to cover – Ken Dorsey's going to have to jump through some hoops. Get, and, get a little creative. Yeah, he's going to have to be creative. Bill's practice updates presented by LECOM, Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine. I think it's safe to say, Steve, that Khalil Shakir is going to have his biggest role within the scope of the offense since he got here, just in light of the injury situation, right? Yeah, I don't think – Pretty any, big. I don't think there's any question. I'm excited. Even if McKenzie is in – I mean, they're going to rotate these guys through. I'm excited about his opportunity because I think we talked about this a lot during the preseason when we were doing the show even out of training camp. There is – we had Chad Hall on our Bills by the Numbers podcast. And Chad, I asked him, I said, he seems wise beyond his years. There seems to be some route savvy to his game that you right. don't often see – with fifth-round rookie receivers. He's a little bit – he reminds me a little bit of where men – mentally of where Gabe Davis was as a young player. Yeah. It, seemed, it never seemed like he was – Wasn't too big for him. Wasn't scatterbrained out there. Wasn't thinking, oh, my gosh, look where I'm at. It was like, okay, here's my deal. I'm going to do it here. You know, just real calm. And uh, uh, he – and when he did get his – opportunity bigger opportunity last week in baltimore he came through in a big way for him no question about yeah, it made a few big plays for them yeah, to keep did. drives alive and this you know none the chief amongst them was this one right here as josh threw him to that sideline on the scramble play and he just nonchalantly toe taps first down let's go so it yeah i'm he yeah i'm i think most bills fans i don't know how i can't speak for the coaching staff or the team but I think most of us out here on this side of the of the 
sideline are very comfortable with Khalil Shakir. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's I'm, that's, I'm actually and that's kind a, of excited. To that's see a what testament. He can do in a larger that's role. a testament to the kind of guy he's been and, and yeah. looks like on the field. I haven't heard that many media interviews with him, a couple, but yeah. they were early in camp, that kind of thing. I, saw, I don't have any idea what kind of guy he is, but man, I, I I'm okay. I saw one yesterday. It was, I believe it was Dan Fates, who's a Rochester area reporter, ran some clips of him on his Twitter page. And it was funny. Khalil said, Hey, I'm, I'm just a chill, laid-back guy almost all the time. And it was interesting. He said, my dad always taught me to control my emotions, even as a young kid. So it just comes naturally to him now. But he's so chill, apparently, that he said, Stefan Diggs comes up to him and says, dude, I can't read you. Are you nervous about anything here? Are you okay? Like, he's just checking in with the rookie. Like, are you straight? And he's like, I'm good. Like, I'm just chilled and laid back. I'm not like this super hype intense dude. I'm just right. kind of right here the whole time. And that's how he looks when he's playing out there. He is just steady that's Eddie. That's right. And that's, you know, not the not that it means anything, but it gives everybody watching him comfort, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it also I'll say this too, particularly for a kid coming out of college, like if he was a senior guy, the young kids coming up, you just get this the the senior, the upperclassmen have this aura about them like, man, he's he just doesn't buy. He's been here so many times. In reality, it's, you know, He's a college kid just like everybody else. Um, I think it'll serve him well as he starts to get more and more opportunities at this level. Uh, just that – and that's the way we see with Gabe Davis too, you know? You don't see Gabe Davis going – riding that roller coaster either. Yeah. Um, but everybody else, McKenzie, Diggs, those guys are hopping around, yelling at the – you know, telling the crowd to shut up. That's great. But I don't know. Yeah, so I'm encouraged by that. Uh, the Steelers are dealing with major injuries in their secondary as well. Four of their top five defensive backs on the injury report for them this week, and chief among them, Minka Fitzpatrick, who suffered a knee injury late in last week's game against the Jets, and he has not practiced. Um, I, I, I'm assuming he's going to try – as much as he can to get out there and play. But Wednesday, he did not practice. Thursday, he oh, Thursday, I apologize. He was limited in practice on Thursday. So at least he's trending in the right direction for the Steelers. Terrell Edmonds, Tremaine's brother, suffered a concussion in last week's game. He was in the protocol last we heard, but he did practice on a limited basis. So he might be on a similar track to that of Isaiah McKenzie. Mm -hmm. So they may have their safeties back. For Sunday, it looks like one of their starting corners, Akello Witherspoon, who had a hamstring injury, missed last week's game. It looks like he's going to miss this week's game as well. So you know who that thrusts into the starting lineup? Levi Wallace. So Levi Wallace could be your starting left cornerback for the Steelers on Sunday, but he is dealing with a foot injury and has been limited in practice all week as well. And then the other starting corner, Cameron Sutton, has a groin and hamstring injury. He's been limited in practice this week. So... It's going to be very interesting to see who they are able to field in their defensive backfield come Sunday as well. So the Bills not the only banged up secondary. Yeah, it's getting to that point now where, I, and I, after this week, you think if you can get through this week, if you're the Bills, you got to feel good about where you're headed because, well, I mean, you never know what's going to happen in this game. They could do it could happen like it did in Miami or or Tennessee where you get four guys injured and dragging stuff around, but. You feel like they're on the mend. 
and coming into the stretch of the second stretch or the middle stretch of the season, it's huge. And the offensive line, knock on wood, seems to be getting better. Mitch Morse was the only guy on the injury report this week. Saffold took a veteran day, but he's good to go. Uh, and, and Mitch Morse is part participating fully in practice. He this was week. limited once, limited twice, then full yesterday. And yeah, he's and he was, you know. So there's nothing really about him. So And he's really the only one. Right. And Ed Oliver and Jordan Phillips both practiced on a limited basis, both Wednesday and Thursday. We'll see what today's designation holds. If one of those guys moves up to full participation today, you, I think you're, it's reasonable to have a good feeling that that player, whoever it is, would have a really good shot at returning to the lineup this week. As we know, Ed Oliver has not played since week one when he suffered the ankle injury against the Rams. And Jordan Phillips has not played since week two when he suffered the hamstring injury on the Matt Milano interception return for a touchdown. <laughs> I'm, I laugh every, because it's one thing to get hurt when you're, when you're banging on guys and you're, and you're working hard stuff, but when you're chasing a guy down so you can dance in the end zone with him, I'm, I, it's – oh, what, you know, what bad luck that That's is. You luck. know? He was going to be the last guy to have a shot. I, I say he's going to dance in the end zone. Actually, he was trying to cut off Ryan Tannehill from having a chance to tackle Milano, and he went down you know, like, he, like he, his leg fell off. And just – oh, man, it's just so <laughs> – we just watched it. And it's hard. I, it is. And, you know, and I've been there, and it, you just go – it's just – you can't keep your feet. He just went down like he'd like he'd been shot, or and uh, he's been out ever since. And we knew then. You and I knew. Uh, you could tell because your soccer background, my football background, we would look at each other and said, "That's I've he's been out, there. He's out for a couple of weeks at least." I've been there. It's yeah. not fun. Yeah, it's not fun at all. Um, yeah. So if you add it all up, Steve, you're talking upwards of half a dozen starters yeah that, six or that seven that could be out of the lineup this week for the bills not that that's any different from what we saw in week three when they didn't have five starters on defense alone yeah, it could be like poyer knox kumaro benford edmonds if you're still counting hyde he would count Hi, well yeah i guess we're he's a, he's not i mean expected. technically yeah i guess you wouldn't count him but, but man oh man I do. I am. I am encouraged, though, that the big guys are getting healthier. That that helps, um, especially the guys on the back end. It helps, right? And also, I, I and also, I'm I'm talking too about the offense. Uh, at least the offense will be up front. Will f- be feeling good. Maybe they can start to get their run game assembled the way they want it to do and get it performing the way they want. Um, that'd be a nice step in the direction we're headed. So, I'm. A lot of this is just like every Friday. We sit here and we talk about these guys. We've watched them practice or not practice or sort of practice all week, mm-hmm. and you kind of start to formulate maybe what it's going to be like on Sunday, and then apply those pluses and minuses to the matchups, and and you just spend your whole day in a some whirlpool of anticipation of what it's going to look like. You know what I mean? And and we're usually we and we usually time. have no clue. We're, we're, <laughs> we're idiots. You know, but you know, that's where they're at. That's where they're at. I uh, speaking this- speaking of things that we did not anticipate. Last night's Thursday night game. Oh. 
I am pleased to tell everyone I did not watch a single snap. I was oh my gosh. I was running some errands after you know, I had dinner and then me and the me and the wife are out running around running some errands and stuff. And we don't get back to the house till probably like nine fifteen, nine thirty. We got back late. And I I I start scrolling through Twitter and the negativity emanating from social media about the the events of this game convinced me, number one, not to watch, and number two, that I was not missing a thing. So here's, I never turned it on. I didn't watch a single snap of this game. I told you my brother, all my, my older brothers are in town with their buddies, so there's a bunch of us old guys sitting around this in you know, my TV, TV watching, and it was so bad we started all scrolling through our Twitter feeds and we started laughing at the memes and the Twitter that people were going. It was so bad. And then it would get worse. It would get worse. Not only would they something start to, you know, one team at least would maybe get a couple of first downs. Then they would each quarterback would throw a pick, one of them in the end zone. And then it got bad. Then they blocked a field goal. It was just, it was comical. Then uh you know, Russ Wilson throws an interception deep. In, they finally get something going. He throws a pick in the end zone. The kid's going to go the distance, and he trips and falls over his own feet. <laughs> the funniest thing I saw was a poll on Twitter. It was like, which do you choose? What's harder to look at, this game or the sun? Yeah. This is it right here. He just, he just like, what? look, look. <laughs> Gone down. He oh, just yeah. falls down. Somebody gunned him down. Falls Sn- down. Sniper from the upper deck. You know, and Ru- you know, Russ Wilson throws one right, throws two of them right at Stephon Gilmore, former defensive player of the year, by the way. Chase McLaughlin kicking for the Colts again. Former mm-hmm. Bills kicker for a minute. Yeah, that's right. And uh, then, you know, so it's nine to nine. Colts go down, score a field goal, so they get take the lead. Russ drives them down, first and goal on the five. He throws it in on finally fourth and five, fourth and goal on the five. And K.J. Hamler loses his mind. K.J. Hamler stand there by himself. Yeah. And inside. Apparently, apparently told James Palmer from NFL Network, I could have walked in. Yeah. After the game. Well, you know, and you know the route he ran? Was the, it was a rub route, right? Was the, the other. exact route that Russ threw the interception in Super Bowl 40-whatever it was, 52. Oh. Was the exact yeah, route? The Malcolm Butler, the, the pick. Malcolm Butler pick. He, that was the exact route combination. Russ wouldn't throw it, so he threw it inside, and Steph Gilmore knocked it away. Game over. Thanks for showing up. It was an absolute atrocity of a football game. Now, twelve to nine. I'm just gonna say this. You know how these days in the betting world, there are odds on everything. There was That's a, just what I was gonna say. There was a point in that game last night where the Colts had the football. And the, the thing that had the greatest odds for the outcome of that drive was a turnover slash turnover on downs. It had the best odds. <laughs> Could you imagine? All right, here we go. Colts have the ball. What should I pick here? Oh, the greatest chance is a turnover or turnover on downs, right. according to all the al- analytics plus, gurus in Vegas. Plus 110. It was plus 600. <laughs> oh, my God. Unbelievable. Couldn't believe it. Um, yes, and listen, that, it's it, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. Turnovers at every, yeah, in every way, shape, and form. The other, and you always hear about this, too. 
there was a bet, a prop bet that some guy bet a thousand dollars that there would not be a touchdown in the game. Cashed oh. it in for a hundo. Wow, hundred thousand dollars. Wow, that's impressive. That's what I heard. I, now, you know, we don't bet. We can't bet. We're not right. allowed to. So it's it's kind of funny to think about because there's always that stuff out there when oh, always, quirky there's always games, some guy when there's always quirky games happen. You find a prop bet guy hit on it and how much he won. It's pretty funny. Um. The other thing that I saw on social media in relation to this game was every time people were like, this is the worst game of offensive football I've ever seen. But Bill's wait. Mafia was very quick <laughs> to bring up the October, almost to the day, Steve, the October 11th, 2009 tilt the- between the Bills and the Browns that by most accounts, for those of us who witnessed it in person, set football back 40 years. The game ended 6-3 to three after Roscoe Parrish muffed a punt, turned it over, and it led to the game-winning field goal. There were 16 punts in that game. I got to look it up. How many punts were there last night? Let me check. I'll check. I'm very curious as to, uh, to see if they beat that game's record for punts in a game because that – you beat 16 punts in a game, you're, you're doing something extraordinarily special. Oh, my gosh. So I am going to look it up right now. I'm going to get to page two, final stats, five punts for Waitman, seven for Hawk. Ah, 12 punts? That's nothing. You had 16 punts in the Bills-Brown 6-3 game in 2009. They didn't even touch it. Matt Hawk punted for the Broncos last night. and he no, pun- no, the Colts, right? The Colts, I'm sorry. Yeah. He punted seven times. Uh, the Bills have punted seven times all season. <laughs> all season. Woo! Woo! I'm telling you, man. It. Uh, people were like, "This is setting football back at least 20 years." I said, "Oh, you didn't see the 2009 bad. game between the Bills and the Browns." So bad. That was. Uh, that was something else for sure. Got a chock-full roster here on today's show. Coming up in about five to six minutes' time, we're going to uh, check in with resident Bills Mafia member Ariel Helwani, who many people know from you know the UFC world and you know his journalism on that side of things. But he is a lifelong Bills fan, and he is going, Steve, to his first Bills home game ever here at Highmark Stadium on Sunday. So we're going to catch up with him, see just how pumped he is. Then, coming up just before the second hour of the show, probably about a half hour from now, we'll check in with our good friend Eric Wood because he is this week's legend of the game. There you go. So we'll uh, check in with him. He's also got a new book out. We want to talk to him about that. And he's got his annual Flights and Bites fundraising event coming up on Monday. So we'll check in with him on all of that. And then, as always, on Friday, Steve, from NFL Films, senior producer Greg Cosell to dive into the X's and O's for this matchup. i got a couple of interesting questions I do want to ask him. All of that plus the OBL Friday fan mailbag is open for your most pressing questions on the Bills and the NFL. We will step aside here, but when we come back, it's Ariel Helwani joining us here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And joined now by sports journalist and lifelong Bills fan, Ariel Helwani, who is attending his first ever Bills home game at Highmark Stadium Sunday at 1. Ariel, do you have the chicken skin yet? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I wish you guys could feel my palms right now, how sweaty they are. Uh, it, first of all, it is such an honor to be on with you guys. As you just said, I'm a lifelong fan since 1990. I have uh, lived vicariously through what you guys do. Steve, I can't believe I'm talking to you right now, number 89. I have uh, prayed for you. I have tried to will you to the end zone. I've tried to will you to victory throughout your entire career. You're one of my favorite players of all time. And yes, on Sunday, for the first time in my life, I can't believe it, 32 years since I first became a fan, uh, I will be attending a Bills home game. I've been to some games on the road, this time at home, Orchard Park. My wife said to me when I turned 40 in July, what do you want to do for your 40th? I said, I just want one thing. I want to go to Orchard Park. And thank you so much to Kelsey Sweet of the Buffalo Bills who made this happen for me. I can't thank her enough. She's an absolute mensch of a human being, salt of the earth. And I will never forget what she has done for me and my family. Oh, this now, tell me this. Why is keeper. this? Yeah, she is. She's great. Why is it that this is your first one? What has kept you from coming here in the past? We're, we're like, where do you make your home? Is it like in Timbuktu or? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I'm from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and that's why I fell in love with you guys. Oh, okay, uh, so we yeah. weren't that far away. And back in the day, as you know, we didn't have Red Zone and all these things. So the NBC Game of the Week was always the Bills in Canada, especially, you know, Eastern Canada. And so I right. fell in love with you guys. And I don't know, I went to university. I went to Syracuse. I wasn't that far away, but I've never been the, you know, I'm kind of one of those fans who likes to stay home and be on his couch and whatnot. But when I turned 40, I felt like, you know, I need to start doing these things. You only live once, right? YOLO, as they say. And uh, what better time than now? And uh, let's be honest, uh, we haven't won a Super Bowl. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I need to go there to get us over the hump and watch what happens. After this game on Sunday, we're running the table, we're winning the Super Bowl, and everyone will thank me, and I'll have to be there every season <laughs> yeah. from here on out. We'll take, we'll take any good mojo we can get. Um, what investigating have you, you know, being a journalist, what kind of investigating have you done in terms of what you should expect coming here? I imagine you've probably reached out to Bill's Mafia members here and there that have been to home games. What have you learned or what are you what are you expecting on Sunday? Oh my I don't even know what to expect because I've heard all the tremendous stories. I'm bringing my my three children. <clears throat> I get emotional. You get a little verklempt. <clears throat> yeah, I'm bringing my children. All right. Excuse me. Get a swig of water real quick. Well, <laughs> he's No, it, this it, is it emotional. Really does make I, me it, mm. No, that's it's the truth because uh I love this team so much, and this is such a big deal for me. So, you know, there's a, a guy that I know named Mark Henry, who's a huge, lifelong Bills fan. He's a very famous MMA coach, and he loves the Bills a thousand times more than I, ha I do. And uh, he's been to a bunch of games over the years. He lives in New Jersey. He's one of the best mixed martial arts coaches in the sport. Oh, okay. and he has told me a lot about what to expect. I picked his brain. He's a very good friend of mine, him and his son, Pino. So uh, I just can't wait to be a part of it. it. It really means a lot to me. I can't tell you how much this team has meant to me. Um, I grew up in a household, guys of uh, Cowboys fans. So hey. you can imagine what the early 90s right. were like for me. Yeah. And so now to see us on top and doing so well, to see the team doing so well, it really does mean a lot. And what do you this team has such high expectations. It makes it easy and I and I'm with you and I was we had a conversation yesterday Brownie and I. This is the year where my family wants to come up and see games. 
and you kind of this year is really a perfect time for your kid. Now, are you are you grooming your children to enjoy the Bills? Are you going to let them have their own choice and let them pick their own? Oh team? no, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not. There is uh, there is no discussion. Uh, they are Bills fans. Early on, my brother, who has older kids, tried to convert them very early on into Cowboys fans. I said this is not happening. For once, I'm going to be surrounded by Bills fans, and I have to tell you, I, I get chills talking about it because uh, my middle son, his name is Walter. He's eight years old. He really is a lot like me, and he kind of fell in love with the Bills before his older brother, Oliver, who's 10. And last year, uh, he has a Stefan Diggs jersey, and uh, last January, you know, I stayed up. I was obviously watching the Chiefs game, and he had to go to bed because it was late Sunday night. And I'll never forget, it's one of the greatest and worst memories of my, uh, my young life because he snuck out of bed and came down to watch the fourth quarter with me. And again, I get emotional because uh, when they scored with 13 seconds left, I hugged them and I started crying and I, and I knew in my heart they win that game, they're winning the Super Bowl. I will believe that till the day I die. They are winning the Super Bowl if they win that game. And I told them, Walter, watch this right now. We are about to win the Super Bowl. This is the moment that I've been waiting for. And then, as you know, uh, yeah. heartbreak afterwards. Right. And he just left the room and I didn't move for two hours. And uh, hopefully one day we'll get to celebrate that Super Bowl together. There's, there's nothing more that I want to see happen. Yeah, tears of joy followed by tears of a different kind very quickly in a very short turnaround i wanted to have a little fun with you on this ariel so i think everybody call you know believes josh allen is a unicorn type player knowing the mma journalistic background you have if you had to compare josh allen and his skill set to an mma fighter who would you pick from those ranks that best exemplifies what josh allen does on a football field that is a tremendous question, and he is a unicorn, and I love that man, and I would run through a wall for him, and uh, I will defend him till the day I die. I'm so proud that he's our quarterback. <laughs> the name that comes to mind is uh, probably the pride of Endicott, New York. Now, I want to say they are nothing alike when it comes to their personality, but in terms of their skill set, he reminds me a lot of John Bones Jones, okay. the longtime UFC light heavyweight champion, because this man has the size but he has clearly the speed, he has the tools, and he does things that we've never seen someone in his position do before. I mean, every time he runs, especially late in the game when the game is you know, pretty much done, I hold my breath because he just doesn't care. He puts his body on the line. You see him stiff-arming. You see him running. I mean, you're seeing the highlights here. He just does not care. He is the type of leader that you want on your team, especially as QB1. And uh, John was kind of, you know, when he came into the UFC around 12 years ago, he was this sort of larger-than-life uh, character, this 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 athlete that we had never quite seen before doing things inside the octagon that we have never seen before. And Josh is doing the same stuff now. And I really do believe he is only scratching the surface i really strongly believe that he is uh he's going to go down as one of the all-time greats as a multiple super bowl champion and i just can't wait for that first one that first one is going to be so special and i suspect it's going to happen in february dare i say and, and by the way can i tell you guys the first you know i worked in television i'm a journalist right. uh the first time i was ever on tv in any way shape or form I called into this show. Now, it wasn't known as One Bills Live back then, but it was 1995. I had MSG Plus on our satellite dish back home in Montreal, and Reuben Brown was in his rookie year, and I called up to ask Reuben Brown a question. I recorded it 
on a VHS tape and I played it over and over again. And that was the very first time that I was ever on TV in any way, shape or form. I was in the eighth grade and I spoke to, I believe, number 79, the rookie Ruben Brown. And I was over the moon that you guys took my call and I got to speak to I, one of the Bills players. So I this is amazing say, for me all these years later. Yeah, I want to say that was Budweiser Sportsline with Paul McGuire probably at, might have at been Empire, Empire Sports, Sports Yeah, it might have been. That's... Uh... Yeah, you're you're a goner. <laughs> you're, that's awesome. I, what is so you're coming your first? What is uh, coming in from a, you? You know, but you know, you're a, a Bills Mafia member. You're a fan of the team. You've heard all the stuff. What is a must do for you when you come to Buffalo for this game? What do you What do you really want to do before the game? Out in the parking lot? That what do you want to see? Who do you oh, want to see? Who do you want to meet? <laughs> well, my favorite of all time is number thirty four. Uh, if I could shake that man's hand, I would probably faint. Uh, I love him dearly. It was him and Bruce Smith for me back in the day. And and Steve, you weren't far behind. I, I loved everything that you did, and I loved that you were the little guy on the field just you know playing with your heart. It was an unbelievable thing to watch you in your prime. Uh, honestly, I, I'm reminded of the scene from Rudy. I'm sure you guys have seen it when the dad walks into uh, Notre Dame Stadium for the first time and he says, this is the most beautiful thing these eyes have ever seen. I suspect it's going to be a scene like that, my friends. I, I, I suspect I'm going to get emotional. As you can tell, I'm an emotional guy. And I've always dreamed of seeing a Bills game. I was I was watching in my basement when 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 you made the comeback against the Oilers. I watched you know every playoff game back in the day. My heart was broken when they didn't play Doug Flutie in 1999. I still believe till this day that we had to pay some sort of price for that. We won't get into all of that. I've seen them all. I've watched them all, and I can't believe that I can actually say on a Friday that the next Bills home game is one that I will be attending. I have never been able to say that before, and I can't believe I'm two days away from realizing that. Yeah, you, you. you got to, like, you got to hydrate, man. You're going to – I don't know if you're – I know. You're, you're not going to make it to Sunday. Make sure you stay hydrated. Right. I'm starting to get worried about you. He's sweating. He's, he's like ready to go. Give him a helmet. I am yeah. fired up, guys. I am fired. <laughs> awesome. if, if you need me to, to, to lead the boys on the field, if you need me to fire them up, now they have a great guy leading the charge, Coach McDermott. He's unbelievable. Uh, Mr. Bean doing great things. The whole, I mean, I watch all the clips on the social media when they have those huddles, it, you know, uh, pregame, postgame, everything. I can't get enough of the content. They don't need me, but I just want to throw it out there. If anyone needs me for a little extra oomph, and I think we're going to be fine against the Steelers, dare I say, we'd want to be too cocky, but I think we'll be okay. If you need me, you know my number. I'll do anything <laughs> yeah, for all the that, All they need one. you to do is here's be loud thing. with the other 73,000 people that are going to be here's there. Always a, here's always an issue, though. If you've been a Bills fan for years, the problem is this. If they win, do you have to come to every game from now on? And if they lose, can you never come to another one? <laughs> oh, gosh. That's a lot of pressure. Jeez, Louise. I'll tell you what, if they win, I'll make it a yearly pr- pilgrimage uh, for my go. family and I. And, nice. and, 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 and by the way, especially if they win the Big Daddy, I feel like I'll have to come back yeah, that's each true. and every year. And, you know, maybe we could talk about a statue or something like that. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But uh, I, I would, I would <laughs> okay. love to be, you know, I would love to be there every year. We'll start with one. Right. I'm happy to. And, and, you know, the new stadium is coming down the line. I would have, right. I would have hated myself forever if I never attended a game, you know, at this stadium, at Ralph Wilson Stadium, the way I right. remember it. So mm-hmm. uh, this this really does mean a lot to me. All right. right. Well, listen, uh, sa- save yourself, man. We, we still got two days till Sunday kickoff. We're a little bit under 48 hours up, here. Guys. So, yeah, say, like pace yourself and uh, make sure you get some good grub in the parking lot. People great about, you know, sharing food and stuff if you don't have, you know, all you're traveling from out of town. So it's kind of hard to bring right. your own stuff for your own tailgate. But – I'm sure you could just walk around and people are more than happy to hand you a bite of something or a swig of something else. Uh, so make sure you soak it all in uh, before the game on Sunday. Have a great time out there, all right? 
Thank you so much. This is a massive honor for me. And Bill's Mafia has been so kind. Everyone's been reaching out, inviting me, and uh, telling me that I should come over and say hello. So I just want to soak it all in. And, and again, thank you so much to Kelsey Sweet and the Buffalo Bills yeah, uh, for reaching bet. out and making this happen. You guys are the best, and I'm so proud to be a member of Bill's Mafia. Yeah, well, Pleasure Ariel, to have you, Ariel. Yeah. Enjoy the game on Enjoy Sunday, and make sure you and your kids nice are allowed. Go Bills! Do, Let's do, do this, baby! And do absolutely <laughs> everything. Do all of it. Just don't stop. Do Ariel Helwani, uh, sports journalist, uh, has done a lot of MMA coverage over the years. And that's why I wanted to ask him that question, because Josh is so unique, you know, as a quarterback in this league. I mean, there are some people that are similar to him, but a lot of people call him a unicorn. So I was sure. curious, like, who, who's his MMA equivalent? And he went with John Bone Jones, you know, from, the, from, the, from Endicott. Mm-hmm. And I think John's brother, Arthur Jones, was a defensive lineman for the Baltimore Ravens. I think I have that right. His brother played in the NFL for a while. Played for the Ravens, I want to say. So. Right. Kind of cool that he picked an MMA fighter whose brother's an NFL player. Very cool, yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, 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 he, I, I was looking down, writing some stuff down. I look up, and he was, like, it verklempt. He was, like, he was getting <laughs> choked, up. choked up about coming to the game. Uh, I'm like, the I, other I thing, too, there. and later in the interview, because I know our radio listeners can't see this, He's wiping the top of his head. Yeah. He, he looks like me after yeah. I ate some hot chili. He's, he's sweating. Exactly. He's yeah. sweating. He, I mean, he, he can't wait. He's ready to pop out of his skin. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, well, think about it. It's been a, great, it's been a, high expe- a season full of high expectations. A lot of stuff's going on. They've only had two home games so far, right? Um, no, one. one. They've had one home game so far, and it was a night game. and on uh, So... People are starving to get to oh, the yeah. stadium to I, watch these guys play. Yeah, I said it's felt like a month. I know. And it's so almost, it'll be, be awesome. almost three weeks by the time we get to Sunday. All right, we yeah. got a break here because when we come back, we're going to be joined by this week's legend of the game. It is our good friend Eric Wood set to jump on with us next here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on a Friday. And joined now by the guy who is going to be the legend of the game this Sunday when the Bills host the Steelers. Legend of the game is presented by the BFLO Store, the official retailer of the Buffalo Bills. It is our good friend Eric Wood, also Bills radio color analyst on the Bills radio network. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm uh, fired up about coming back this weekend and being the legend of the game. I'm at all the games now doing the radio broadcast. It would be fun to be the legend of the game. Steve, do you have any tips for me on that? I don't know. I'm no legend. I'm, I never get asked to do that stuff. I'm, <laughs> they got, I'm too far down the list, bro. I'm, you, you, you just get to do the cool promo videos. That's right. That, yes, that's because I'm here during the week, too, right? Yeah, like, right. He's, a, he's readily available. I'm readily available. Um, Steve, we need you to smoke a cigar and be here on a Tuesday. You got it. I'm sorry, sir. It's a non-smoking facility, but I would. Yeah, he would. Right. Uh, all right, so being legend of the game – has its added responsibilities, as as you have probably undoubtedly learned, because you're going to be making an appearance at the BFLO store on Saturday from 10 to 11 a.m., uh, and that's the one up on Transit Road, right? Yep, I'll be there. All right, sweet. Um, and then there are there are some giveaways, from what I understand, like autographed footballs, uh, gift cards for the BFLO store. 
You got like giveaways and everything. Do you know if you're signing anything or no? Um, I'm not sure. I, I believe that um, I'll be signing anything that people bring, which earlier when I was still playing with the Bills, I got um, a lot of stuff sent to me when I said I would sign anything, including a jock strap and some other stuff that people sent in the mail. Wow. So, um, keep those at home. But, yes, there will be a signing tomorrow at the BFLO store. That's good. And you've got another event that I've, I've actually been to uh, in the past, the Flights and Bites benefiting Oshai Children's Hospital and the Evan Wood Fund. Uh, tell us a little bit about when that's happening. Yeah, Monday night, that'll be going down. It is officially sold out now. So if you haven't got your tickets yet, um, then you can join us next year. And for all those that have supported already, I truly appreciate it. The sponsors, the people that come out, um, we just have a blast every year at that event. And it never ceases to amaze me how generous the people of Western New York are when it comes to anything that these Buffalo Bills players um, are passionate about in the community. Awesome. It's good stuff. I, I know I've been there once. And I, I'm not going to, I'm double booked, so I can't make it this year, but I appreciate you always, you always take the time to invite some of the old guys and uh, we really appreciate it. And we hope and wish you the best. It's going to be great for Oshai Children's Hospital and the Evan Wood Fund. Uh, thanks for doing that, Eric. And, and uh, this legends of the game thing that you're going to be a part of this week. When do you like, do you, is this going to throw a wrench into your pregame ritual? No. Well, yes. <laughs> no, in the sense that I'll be there. All, generally, I'm there on Saturdays already. So it, it's all good travel-wise. When it comes to pregame and what I normally do, after doing the roundtable on WGR, usually I hang out for a little bit and then get settled in for the broadcast. Murph, Chris, we may need you a little bit. You may need to fill okay. in for me in the booth while I'm trying to make my way up there. My idea was to get the microphone and everything up there, and there's a little platform outside the booth, and I could do the announcement from up there and – Everyone direct their attention to the kind of the booth, but um, whether they were worried about me standing up there and possibly falling or I don't know, but uh, they're going to try and get me back up to the booth as quickly as possible. Well, yeah, they'll just golf cart you up there. You'll be up yeah. there. Fast. You might be, uh, yeah, you might be a little, you might be able to do it now. When you were play, at your playing weight, you might have had a hard time standing on that little yeah. roof there. It might have collapsed. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. I might have went through it. <laughs> All right. And then if that's not enough, you also have your new book coming out, Tackle What's Next. That's going to be available. Uh, I mean, man, you got the event Monday. You got a book coming out Tuesday. What? You got anything else on the docket? Jeez, aye, aye. where can you you can get this on Amazon, right? Yep, you can get it on Amazon. Pre-order now. It'll get to you on Tuesday. And uh, the support for the book's been incredible as well. And Sean McDermott did the foreword. So if you don't want to hear something I wrote or read something I wrote in the book, then you can, uh, I believe this is the first time Sean McDermott's been in print, and he did a wonderful job with the board for the book. And it chronicles my transition out of the NFL, and that really helps you tackle what's next in your life and use a lot of the tools and tricks and tips that podcast guests and mentors and, and friends of mine have given me over the years to help you successfully transition. And that's not just big transitions like out of pro sports or business or whatever it may be. It can simply just help you live a more successful fulfilled life yeah it's good stuff and i appreciate that that'll be fun uh you're gonna you're gonna sign a ton of those i'm sure over the next uh, few years no question um <laughs> yeah give us a little set we've been talking a little bit about what's happening with this bills game a uh, ton of guys are questionable and pro already been decided that they're going to be out poyer knox kumaro benford uh poyer and knox really the ones that kind of headline that little group what do you think about this steelers game uh, a couple of days away 
Yeah, I mean, the injuries play the key story again, like they have ever since uh, the Bills got out of the Titans game. So the Bills are still nursing injuries and coming back and have so many key guys out. It's uh, kind of wild. You know, first time since the merger, the Steelers remain a 14-point underdog to the Bills, but they have some injuries to deal with on their side of the ball. And I think a lot of that comes down to a rookie quarterback coming into Highmark Stadium, even without Jordan Poyer and, and a few other defensive starters. That Bills defense um, should eat them up pretty good, you would assume. And that's the track record that Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier have against rookie quarterbacks. And then, Eric, um, you know, I, I've been trying. I'm going to bounce this off Greg Cosell when we have him on, but you would seem like a candidate to answer this, too. Because we have fans asking us questions here on the Friday mailbag. And one was asking, with the run game and why it hasn't been able to get on track, they're asking, would you say there are schematic differences in the run game to what they ran last year to what you've seen through the first four games? What would be your answer to that? Yeah, there's some schematic differences. And, I, you know, I think that I know that the Bills – um, are, are a passing team. They want an effective run game, though. They want to rush the ball for over four and a half yards to carry. They would love to have five yards to carry on average when they run the football, as does everyone else in the league. And, you know, this the way the Bills throw the ball and the amount they throw the ball, it takes an offensive line time to gel. We saw it last year, those last five or six games of the season, the run game came alive, in particular Devin Singletary. I think before long you'll see this Bills offense find some footing in the run game just identifying what the strengths of this offensive line are going to be and you have a couple new starters up there and people have been banged up throughout the year and as the offensive line continues to gel and the running backs get used to some different schematic things I believe the run game will improve with that. Do you think it's just it's always going to be this way as long as you've got a guy like Josh at quarterback you're going to throw the football first and it's just going to be late in the season, the second half of the season, or maybe even later like it was last year, that it's going to take getting enough reps with an offensive line that is settled in uh, if you don't keep shuffling those guys around like they did last year. You think it's just kind of a half-a-year thing or a, you know, a two-month or an eight-game stretch that it's always going to take them that long to get it together? I think it could because there's no sense in saying that you're going to be a Bills team dedicated to the run when you have a prolific offense with Josh Allen, at quarterback, and the, uh, the playmakers that they have receiving at receiver, tight end, and even the running backs out of the backfield are contributing in the pass game this year. Devin Singletary has been great in the pass game. And you know, Josh Allen said in his press conference after the game last week, those swing passes to the running backs, the screens, whether it be to the exterior or – setting up an actual screen those are an extension of the run game those are extremely high percentage throws and that is going to be a lot of what the bills run game is going to be right now like that that's what's essentially replacing them getting more runs in a game eric thanks for the time uh we look forward to you firing everybody up uh on sunday at one and we'll catch up with you soon sounds good guys thanks for having me on See you, all right that's eric wood not only radio color analyst for the Bills Radio Network, he is going to be the legend of the game on Sunday, just before kickoff, getting you guys all amped up. And he's also going to be making an appearance tomorrow, Saturday, 10 to 11 a.m. at the BFLO store on Transit Road. And again, legend of the game presented by the BFLO store, the official retailer of the Buffalo Bills. Break time for us when we return. It's Greg Cosell. 
from NFL Films to dive into the X's and O's with us for this game between the Bills and the Steelers next. Stay tuned. Presented by Kaleida Health. Welcome to our number two on a Friday. And you know what that means. It's time for us to huddle up with senior producer from NFL Films, Greg Cosell, and talk X's and O's about this one, Steelers-Bills, 1 o'clock on Sunday. Greg, Bills are a little nicked up here. They may have to get creative uh, on both sides of the ball, quite frankly, with their play calling. Yeah, well, just before we start, Brownie, I just want to let you know, uh, I'm really liking that sweatshirt. I'm a, I'm a 2XL, by the way. You can send okay. it along anytime you want. All right, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. We'll get you in Bill's gear. Don't, don't, don't tease us go. like Come that, Come on Greg. now, you know, I got to be an honorary member of Bill's Mafia. There you go. Yeah, if, you, if you're going to wear it, you got to wear it on the NFL matchup, though. That's all there is to it. Oh. <laughs> uh, they, 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 make me wear, they make me wear a coat and tie, Steve. I, I, I don't control that. Just have the hood sticking out the back of the collar. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, let's... no, you're, but, but you're right. A lot of injuries. I mean, I saw Poyer is out. Yep. Um, Edmonds, I'm sure, will be out. Hamstrings don't don't heal in a week. Um, so uh, Knox is out. You know, it, 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 it'll be interesting. I mean, obviously, they just they're coming off a big, big win. And we can talk about that momentarily. But, you know, and Pittsburgh, in the minds of many, probably doesn't seem like a very good team right now. But, you know, you never know. That's that's why we play them. And, and it's a big game because of what of the game next week. You know, you don't want to you don't want to go into the Chiefs game, uh, you know, uh, with a law coming off a loss. Yeah. And this Steelers team kind of becomes a little bit of an unknown with Kenny Pickett in there. You saw him play yep. the second half against the, the jets got him a, actually got them a two, a, a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter of that game. And, you know, the jets came back and, and managed to win it, but Kenny Pickett, I, and I'll say this, I'm like any casual fan, even a Pittsburgh fan. You loved what you saw in the preseason, his ability to extend plays, got a live arm, um, didn't seem too big for him, and I saw more nope. of that in in the in the Jet game. There was only maybe, yeah, he tried to fit the ball into some places, but a couple of those interceptions were just bad hops and bad tips. But I thought I liked what, oh, he, no, what yeah. I saw. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't. Those interceptions only only the second one right. was one that I think required some coaching because what he did, Steve, and you know this that you can't do in the NFL. You can't drift backward when you feel pressure. And that's what he did on the second interception. But the play we just saw, the shot he took, and he stood and delivered, and that was right in front of him. And he never flinched. He didn't even lose his technique throwing that ball. He's got mobility. The other thing that really stood out to me, and, and this is what you have to do in the league, is he threw to the one-on-ones. That was not a problem for him. You know, you know as well as I do, when a lot of quarterbacks come into the NFL, and here's an example of throwing to the one-on-ones, 
Um, you know, a lot of quarterbacks are used to throwing to receivers who are open in college football, and they have to learn that if it's one-on-one, -on -one, even if your receiver appears to be covered, you have to make those throws in this league. And he, I think he has an innate sense of that. Uh, and, and as I'm sure you guys do know, he played in college under Mark Whipple at Pitt, and that was an NFL offense because Mark Whipple had been in the league with several teams. Taking it a step further with their offense, you know, going forward, Greg, I, I'm, I'm anticipating that their approach will remain to a great degree the same. Um, I was kind of taken by their use of 12 personnel. Fryermuth is obviously a, a, I like him a lot. He's a good player. Yeah. Um, I was trying to figure out their aim and approach when they do go to 12 personnel. I'm I'm kind of caught in the middle as to whether it's a byproduct of protection issues or their desire to run the ball, maybe even more so now with a rookie at quarterback to help support it. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately they want to be a running football team. I mean, you talk about 12 personnel. Um, they, they did play over 30 percent of their snaps last week in 12 personnel. And, you know, my sense is that they want look even even when they named Trubisky the starter, you know with Trubisky as your starting quarterback that you're not coming out and throwing it around. You know that you're working off the run game. You want play action. You want boot action. You, you know you want to do those things. I don't think that mentality will change Brownie this Sunday. Okay. The problem is they're not that good a running team. Yeah. Um, I, I may be in the minority. Uh, and, and this is all film study, but I went back this summer and I watched seven games of Najee Harris. And I got to tell you, I think Najee Harris is kind of a pedestrian NFL back. He's big, he's powerful, but he doesn't have any juice. Um, he can't, I had a great conversation with Fred Taylor at the combine about five years ago. And he gave me a phrase that I use now when I evaluate backs and that's the ability to re-accelerate in confined space. And Najee Harris can't do that. Right. So yes. he's essentially a grinder. So right, their listen, run game. Greg, go I got to tell you, I'm, I, I'm, I got to let Brent Brownie's been hammering me about Najee Harris. Give him the stats so you can so get it off your chest. We were taught when, when we do draft <laughs> prep and stuff, as I know you do, you watch a ton of tape, I was blown away by this one statistic, and I cannot remember the scout that un unearthed it or draft guru that unearthed it. But in Najee Harris's, I don't know, 500-plus carries in college, only six, I think, went for 40 yards or more. You said 25 yards. Or 25 yards or more. So for me – Getting to the NFL, that means when he's trying to hit the hole, it's got to be a defined hole if he's going to get through it because he doesn't. He's no Fred Taylor that's going to get no, through a no. crease and go seven or eight yards or maybe the distance. No. He's need, he needs a defined hole that's that's got good integrity if he's going to get you somewhere between four and eight yards on that play. And this line, Greg, at least in my estimation, just flat out isn't good enough to do that for him. No, it's not a great O-line. And, of course, a lot of people say, well, gee, if he played behind a good O-line. Well, I think I think the point is if most backs played behind a really yeah. good O-line, they'd probably gain yards. I mean, that's, you know, I was a baseball player, and that's like saying in baseball that anybody can catch the good hops. You know, I mean, right. I, I think I think Najee Harris is is a powerful, physical, competitive grinder. There's no real explosive big play element to his running style. 
Um, you know, so again, he's not a bad back, but I'm not sure he's a true foundation back that you can lean on as a 20 carry a, a, a game guy. So, you know, I, I don't think based on what I've seen on tape that he's that guy. This is a team that's coming in, and you're right. What do they hang their hat on? I mean, what are they? If this game, if they come in, play their game, and beat the Buffalo Bills, what's it going to look like? Well, I think it would have to look like some explosive plays in the passing game on the outside because their passing game is kind of vertical routes and short routes. They have not shown unless now with Pickett that changes. Um, I think he'll make throws that Trubisky might not make. And when I say make, I mean attempt. Right. Um, you know, I think that when you've watched them the last couple of years when they had Big Ben, it was either vertical balls outside the numbers or they threw short balls. So, and it hasn't really changed much up to this point. So we'll see if they expand some of the concepts. Everybody has the concepts in their playbook, guys. You know that. It's what you choose to call. But Pickett, I think, is a more aggressive thrower. Um, and I think, look, at the end of the game, and that was, we saw the highlight, that was at the very end of the game when he threw the dig ball. But you don't see those kinds of throws very much in the Steelers' offense. What about on the defensive side? I, I uncovered this number, Greg, and it surprised me a little bit. Um, but I think I have a hunch as to why it is so. Steelers are fourth in the NFL in single high safety snaps. They have 51% yeah. of their snaps in single high safety. And I'm guessing that's partially due to the caliber of quarterbacks they faced. Burrow is probably the only top-tier guy they faced. Otherwise, it's Brissett, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones. So how much do you attribute who they have played at quarterback to playing so much single safety high? Because I, I think that's suicide against Josh Allen if you're playing it that often. Well, that's what we don't know. Um, because it's only been four games. So we don't know if that's what they worked on all through OTAs and training camp, and that's what they want their coverage foundation to be, or if that's the a case of, of who they played, Brownie, as you suggested. So that's a hard question to answer. Um, but the thing that's really interesting is, is they have not gotten what they expected from Devin Bush, the linebacker. He was drafted high with the expectation that he's a great athlete and would be a three-down player. And while they do, they play him in base, they play him in some nickel, not all, and they do not play him in dime. So they all, they end up playing in their pass nickel, they play Spillane and Jack. And in their dime, they play Spillane. Now, huh. they play some three, they play some three to six dime as well, where they play both uh, Spillane and Jack, but they, they do not play Bush in their pass defense. I want to ask you about the Bills defense. They have allowed one touchdown in four games in the second half. Is there something, is there something in that? Or is that just kind of a function of the way the games fell and it's just a, a luck of the draw or is there something to that? Well, I think there's something to it. You know, it's funny. I watch I watch them play against the Ravens really carefully, and and not because of the Lamar factor running, just the coverage. And I think they do such a great job of in zone. And and hear me out. I hope this is clear. In zone, it, depending on how you play it, you can kind of force the quarterback to throw the ball where you want him to throw it. And by that I mean 
let's say you decide with your 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 flat defender that you want him to get a lot of depth. So you're going to force the quarterback quarterback to throw the ball in the flat. You know, so they do a really good job with that. And, you know, it comes down to it's that's one reason I think they don't give up big plays, because the approach is, do you want the ball to go behind you or in front of you if you're an underneath defender? And in an ideal world, particularly, I mean, they didn't have the lead this week, but very often they play with a lead. You know, if you're playing with a lead, you want the ball to go in front of you, not behind you. And I think you can dictate that by how you drop, how you play with your eyes, you know, and they do a really, really good job of that. Uh, one thing that I wanted to discuss with you, Greg, was something that we discussed on our weekly podcast. Um, we, through the first four games, found that the Bills are sacrificing some explosiveness in the first half yes. in exchange for efficiency. And while their conversion rate on third down is still at the top of the league, they're forced to convert more of them because their passing game is focusing more on shorter passes, intermediate passes, than the explosives. As a result, though, what we found most interesting was their number of possessions are down in the first half from an average of about seven a game through the first month of the season last year to five this year. That's a big difference. Yeah, Yeah. and as a result, they're not ahead on the scoreboard very often at halftime like they have been in the past. Their margin is zero at halftime through four games. And so while I want, I understand that's probably a byproduct of seeing a good amount of high cover two shell and just trying to take what they give them. Um, it's kind of putting the pressure on them to pull away from teams in the second half. Now their defense has been helping them a great deal in that, but I, I wonder if that is something that could rear its head in a bad way when they play a team like the chiefs who can pile up points. Yeah. And it's a great point, Brownie, because I think one thing that's been missing has been the explosive plays. They've made a few, obviously, but I think I think that's something that they probably need to, to do more of. And I'm sure they know this. You know, if we're talking about it, they know it. Right. Um, but I think that that needs to happen because what you said is 100 percent true. I think the short passing game, for the most part, has taken the place of their run game. And that's another factor that at some point is going to be an issue if they don't do it more and better. But they're using the pass game essentially to be a run game. And Josh has become very efficient with those quick game throws. Uh, and that's that's great. That's, uh, you know, further part of his development into a great quarterback. But at some point, you're going to need to do two things. You're going to have to have a more conventional run game, and you're going to have to try to orchestrate and create big explosive plays in the pass game because it's hard to live like the way they're playing because, like you said, Brownie, the games are too close. Yeah, right. I want to ask you about maybe some specific players. This, uh, Khalil Shakir looks like he's elevating through the depth chart. He, he got a couple of yeah. plays last week, and with the injury – the unknowns to Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, Gabe Davis has not been 100%, although it looks like he's improving Crowder. and he may be there. Crowder's out of the mix right now. Uh, Khalil Shakir may get elevated to, to quite a bit more playing time. In fact, he might be the next guy in under any circumstances this Sunday. Um, comparing, I mean, what do you think between, obviously, McKenzie's a fast guy and Khalil Shakir is not, you know, a speed merchant. What? How might those two guys, the inter- interchange between, if McKenzie's out and Sh- Shakir's in, how does that yeah. change the offense? 
Um, well, I, I, I always feel watching tape that I feel like McKenzie's their their man to man guy. They use him a lot to run away from the defense, Steve. You know, you, you've heard that for years. That's what they say versus man. You run away from man and you settle in, into voids versus zone. Um, McKenzie is that guy. We saw that last year against New England. We saw the great, I think it was, um, was it the Miami game? What, yeah. what game did he end did, of the 2020 was, season? Miami game, yeah. And the, yeah, and the but New also England, this year, I remember New England Josh game. made a great throw to uh, to McKenzie. Oh yeah, um, that was week three. Beautiful throw. Was that week three where yeah. McKenzie was on the left sideline, yeah, dropped it over his right shoulder? Foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was man coverage. Um, McKenzie is is a man guy. I think Shakir. Not that he can't play against man, but I think you would see him more as a guy at this stage in his career. He's not necessarily going to do that as a you know he's not a speed merchant, but. You know, he got in last week. He had a big catch on on the final drive where, um, you know, Josh moved to his left and Shakir found that that void on the sideline. Um, and you guys know how I feel about him. We talked about him in the preseason a lot. And I said at some point this season he would get an opportunity. I mean, I, you don't you're not happy that guys are hurt for that to happen. But obviously that's the NFL. But I, I kind of like Shakir. I mean, I, I wouldn't surprise me if he gets meaningful snaps. I don't know if he'll be a volume target, but I think he'll get some meaningful snaps. Yeah, we yeah. we talked to receivers coach here, Chad Hall, about him because for us, just watching him in training camp, he just seems to have a route savvy that is yep. wise beyond his years, especially for a fifth-round draft choice. And he's competitive. He's physical for his size. I mean, I really liked his tape coming out of college. Really like. I think here's the play where he he was yes. found the void on the sideline and uh, made the catch. You know, it was not a big gain, but it got him a first down in in a critical situation. Yeah, and those and this is the kind of thing that you know you don't know how these games are going to take place until they you know, actually happen. But with a, a rookie right. quarterback, I I don't think there's any question. I think the Pittsburgh offense is going to take. I think it's going to have an uptick. With Kenny Pickett, I really do. I, I agree I like, with you. I was wrong about how well Trubisky was going to play for them, but I think Pickett gives them some juice that Trubisky did not. And I think that's one thing the Bills have. I, I, turnovers are going to be an enormous part of this game, I believe. If whichever team wins that has a better chance, has a the is going to win the game, I think. And that's the real thing that could help Pittsburgh. Their defense is good at getting turnovers, and if they do that, this game goes in the the way their way. Yeah, you know. And it'll be interesting, you know, the Steelers, Highsmith has proven to be a pretty solid pass rusher. I think they're kind of trying to figure out who the other guy is opposite him uh, with with Watt out. But Highsmith has proven to be a pretty solid pass rusher. Um, you know, they played a lot of man. I'll be real curious what this what the Bills do in, with their receiver location, because Mollette plays in the slot. Yeah. And I think if you're going to play a lot of man, I think he's a guy worth going after. And, and, you know, you could line Diggs up in there. Diggs doesn't always have to line up outside. I mean, you can line up receivers anywhere you want, especially for a team that plays a lot of man, because you can you can dictate the matchup you want. Right. The, the one last thing about the defense before we let you go, Greg, for the Steelers anyway, we know they're without Watt. They're still trying to figure things out. I did see a statistic that said when Watt is not in the lineup, they blitz four times as often, understandably, yeah. understandably why. Blitzing Josh, though, sometimes can be foolhardy, as he has proven in the past. But you have a nicked-up secondary in the back. So 
they might have all their guys out there, but I don't know if any of them are going to be 100%. I'm wondering how much they try to help protect those guys on the back end with their front in terms of their approach with pass rush. Yeah, any, and any it's thoughts? a great question. Yeah, because even Minka Fitzpatrick Brown, he, I guess, is, he's, yeah. is he questionable at this point? I haven't seen the final listing, but he's been limited in practice all week, as has Cameron Sutton, as has Levi Wallace, as has Terrell Edmonds, who was in concussion protocol. Yeah, so, I mean, they could be playing with backups, and then you have to be careful. You know, because don't forget, you don't have to play man behind pressure. There's multiple kinds of pressures, and you can play zone concepts behind it. Um, so we'll see. I mean, they played a lot of cover one, as you mentioned. They played a lot of one robber, um, which is a man concept where you take one of your safeties and you drop them into the middle, and the other safety is just a post safety. Um, so they've done a lot of that. The question is, if they're going to play backups, will they do that? Now, obviously, playing backups in zone is not automatically a panacea either because there's a lot of communication and eye discipline that is required, and backups may not be able to you know, feel real comfortable doing that. Last one I've got for you, Greg. Um, it's, I guess it says a lot that because there's so many things on the front burner, we've kind of stopped talking about the young corners of the Buffalo Bills, Kair Elam, yeah. Christian Benford, and now, you know Dane Jackson as well. Um, but Elam seems to be getting better, even in, even though you know he was playing behind Christian Benford, um, and of course Taron Johnson continues to play at a at an elite really, level really with a well. slot. Yeah, so really well. give me an idea of, of what your thoughts are about Elam and how he's playing, and also Dane Jackson, the fact that he was back in the lineup. Yeah, I mean I thought they played well this week, but it's not a good test because. As you guys know, the Ravens, they play the fewest snaps of 11 personnel in the league. Right. Less than 10% of their offensive snaps come with three wide receivers. I think all season long, they play 22 snaps with three wide receivers. So they'll get a bigger test this week. But I did watch watch them a little bit when I watched that tape. And I thought that Elam was pretty sticky in his coverage. I watched him a little more than Jackson. I've been impressed with Hamlin at safety. I don't know about you guys, and I don't know what the coaching staff has said publicly, but I've been pretty impressed with Hamlin. Yeah. Um, he, he's really good playing downhill. He's aggressive. While they're not a heavy blitz team by any stretch, as you guys know, when they do, sometimes he's a part of it. You know, I, I think he's played, to, to my eye, without knowing what he's asked to do on every play, I think he's played well. Yeah, Leslie Frazier was asked about that this week. And his description of Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson was as follows, because people are asking why did Hamlin start over Johnson? Johnson's been here longer, et cetera, et cetera. It's very clear that Leslie Frazier feels that Hamlin's strength is coverage, that he can cover the deep half. He has the range to do that and also plays with physicality on the back end, while they feel Jaquan Johnson is better closer to the line of scrimmage. So I would anticipate that, Johnson is going to take Poyer's spot while Hamlin stays in the back, you know, Manning Hyde's role, even though those two guys are usually interchangeable. I, how interchangeable right. these two are, I do not know. Yeah, and that could be game-specific, which we don't know because we haven't seen them enough to know that. The coaching staff obviously has a feeling about that. But, but, all, but Hamlin did, did flash to me on film this week in particular. All right. Uh, Thanks, Greg. As always, we appreciate it, and we'll catch up with you next week for week six. It's a big one. Thanks, Greg. I know. I'm, I'm looking for – I think I'll need my sweatshirt by then, Brownie. <laughs> okay, we'll, see, we'll see how well the mail works. 
<laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. That's Greg Cosell joining us here on One Bills Live, senior producer from NFL Films. We'll take a break. Be back with more. Stay tuned. All right, the injury reports are out for both teams, and we already told you who is not going to play for the Bills for the most part. And I'll pull up the last two tweets that I made to run down the full list. But Benford, Crowder, Dawson Knox, Jake Kumaro, and Jordan Poyer all out for Sunday's game. Questionable for the game for the Bills. Tremaine Edmonds, Isaiah McKenzie, Ed Oliver and Jordan Phillips. Jordan Phillips and Ed Oliver participated in practice all week on a limited basis. Isaiah McKenzie was limited the last two days. Tremaine Edmonds has not practiced all week. So I would tend to put him on the more doubtful side of questionable in light of the fact that he never took the field. And I know you and I were talking about who would be in the lineup in his place and knowing that the Steelers want to run the football, they have a big back who's not super fast, as we discussed with Greg Cosell in Najee Harris, we're kind of anticipating it would be the bigger, sturdier linebacker coming onto the field in place of Edmonds, and that would be Tyrell Dotson. Right. I don't know if Kenny Pickett changes that equation. I don't think he does. But I don't think he does. I think their, their offense is what it is, and I think they're going to do what they can to protect Kenny Pickett with a running game and all the same kind of thing. And I, yeah. um, I'm – that's what it gets. That's where it is to me. I think, yeah. If we're gonna, you know, we, you know, are we building a game plan here. Or, uh, we will do that in a second. First, I'm, let me do the Steelers injury report. All right, let's hear what. Uh, yeah, because I've seen. Go ahead, tell them. So basically, out for the game as expected. Starting cornerback Akello Witherspoon. He's going to miss a second straight game with a hamstring injury. He missed last week's game as well. That means the guy starting in his place is expected to be one Levi Wallace at left cornerback. So that'll be interesting, matching up with guys he went against in practice for four years. Um, questionable for the game, Terrell Edmonds, who was in the concussion protocol, Tremaine's brother, the safety, and other starting cornerback, Cameron Sutton, is questionable. Although Cameron Sutton told Steelers.com after practice today, I'm playing on Sunday. So even though he's listed as questionable, Sutton telling Steelers.com he will play on Sunday. And the Steelers will also have Minka Fitzpatrick and Cameron Hayward in the lineup, both of those players uh, off the injury report without a designation. So those two players, good to go, even if they are not 100%. So that's kind of where things stand heading into Sunday's game. Time now for us. To build a game plan presented by United Rentals, United Rentals is the exclusive and official construction equipment rental partner of the Buffalo Bills. Steve, you want to take the offense here? What do they, they got to do this I week think against the, for the Steelers? The, yeah, for the Bills, I think the, the key thing is uh, play a clean game. you got to don't turn it over. I don't have a problem with the with what they've done thus far in the year, staying very efficient and just staying on the football field offensively. You really, I think, put – need to put pressure on their offense from both sides, your defense putting pressure on them, and also your offense by being efficient and coming away with points every drive, whether it's three or six or seven. Come away with points and start to stack it up. This is one of those games where you hope, no matter how many possessions you have, Sam Martin maybe has one punt. 
or zero punts. You got to stay on the field. And that's, I think that's it. And don't turn it over. Don't fumble it away. Um, first downs are gold. And I think that is going to be the way that, you know, the solid way. And I think, too, you're going to be able to nick them. For, I think this might be the first team you can nick for a big play. Get some explosives. You can yeah. get some explosives because their, their secondary is going to be a little bit susceptible to it. And I don't think their pass rush, even given what uh, Greg Cosell just told us about uh, Highsmith. Yeah, five and I, a half sacks, second in the league. I still think the Bills can – Josh can hit some big plays on it. But I think efficiency, and then when he comes, take your shot down the field, and that may happen. Defensive side of the ball for the Bills game plan-wise, I would just not allow Kenny Pickett to get comfortable in any way, shape, or form. If you feel that your front four can get home effectively, and I believe they are vastly superior to the Pittsburgh offensive line, I think they're going to have a field day on Sunday getting after Pickett because I've just watched this – Pittsburgh offensive line on tape through the first month of the season. I am largely unimpressed. I mean, outside of the guard they picked up in free agency, James Daniels, they got a bunch of just regular guys. Like, I I just – nobody really stands out to me, and they haven't pulled it all together yet. I think they're going to have a supreme problem protecting Kenny Pickett. They may just have to play quick game just to get the ball out for him and allow him to try to get into a rhythm, but – you got yeah. a condor over there on the one side, and Greg Rousseau, he puts his hands up. Pickett's not throwing it over him out to the flat. So I, I think they're going to struggle. I'll say this, though. Pickett's an athlete. I liked what I saw. He's 6'3", 220. He runs well, and he, and he seems to have a more live arm, and, a more, and he's able to see the field better when he scrambles than Trubisky is. It scares me his ability, even if he's under pressure, to extend plays and make something out of it. That scares me. So I think it's almost to the point now, particularly since he's young, if you can get pressure on him with four or send an extra guy and get pressure quick with five, you almost tell your guys not to run stunts up front to keep him in the pocket a lot like you did Lamar and force him as a rookie to read your defense in the back end and then, you know, snipe him. Yeah. They could do it. Um, I just think – if you get Ed Oliver or Jordan Phillips back this week, just one of them, yeah, it's going to be game, set, match. You're not going to be able to run on this defensive line, and the pass pressure is going to be overwhelming. I don't think Kenny Pickett has any idea what he's walking into here. Well, I don't know. I, yeah, here's the thing, too, and I know there are Bills fans that are that are beyond optimistic, and it's like we're going to roll, we're going to get them. You know, I know and the Tomlin set effect. The, I get set it. The, yes, but set the – Set the injured guys down. Get healthy for Kansas City. You got to win this game. Yes, you've got to win this game. I get it. They're four and one or three and one. It's you know it's it's week five and you know you you got a lot of football left. But these are the games that means the this game means as much as next week does because you don't know if the Chiefs are going to come off the rails later on. They're not even going to be in the conversation. You got to win this game and then you can worry about next game next time. So if they if a guy can go, he's got to play. Um, the Steelers aren't going to come in here and in any way, shape, or form lay down and die with a rookie quarterback or not. They're going to rally around this guy. They're going to play their best football of the season, and you can't get hit in the mouth by a team that you thought was going to lay down because that could happen easily. The yeah. Steelers scare me more than as much as Baltimore does. 
because of their because of their coach and because they've got because of this quarterback switch mostly. And I get it too. I'll say this: I've, we've been watching them. Their receivers are just okay to me. They're okay. They're op- they're better, I think, once they get the ball in their hands than they are at getting open. You know what I mean? I think they're better after the catch than they are before the catch. But you still got to cover them up. Yes. I don't think there's any question about that. All right. That's building a game plan presented by United Rentals. Uh, let's go to the phones. Take a quick call. Got a guy that's been waiting patiently there. It's Jeff in Buffalo. What do you got for us, Jeff? You're all on Bills Live. Oh, hi, guys. Uh, glad, I'm glad I got on. Uh, I have a uh, – well, I wanted to say that, uh, I, I, Steve, I know, you know, that Isaiah Hodgins is never – you know, I guess he's never played uh, special teams and that they, you know, that they need that kind of thing. Um, but, I, you know, I've seen this guy now for a few years, and he – he catches everything that's thrown his way. Uh, and I know you also said, I heard you say uh, one time during one of the preseason games that he doesn't create enough separation as a receiver. Um, I'm sure you know that a lot better than I do. Uh, but, he, you know, Josh loves to throw in a tight window. And he doesn't drop anything. We're, you know, we've seen a lot of drops this year so far. And he, you know, he, he's impeccable as far as that's concerned. I mean, that one catch that he made in one of the preseason games where he jumped over one of the uh, defenders and caught the ball off his back was just an incredible play. And, he, you know, I, I think, you know, if McKenzie's out especially, I think he would be the guy to uh, come in uh, for him that would, uh, you know, be, be one of the guys. You, so you're ready to uh, see you're re- what you're saying, I guess, Jeff, is you think Isaiah Hodge is time to take him out of out of the closet and use yeah. him. And you may have to. I mean, if McKenzie's not up on Sunday and he is questionable, he's still in the concussion protocol for all we know. You're down to three healthy guys. So and Shakir's your three. So Hodgins would presumably be your four, and then Tanner Gentry's your five, and he's playing on special teams. That's probably how you're going if McKenzie doesn't be. play. Might be. Now, if McKenzie does play. That makes it a little more tricky. I mean, you still might bring both of them up. But if you're only bringing one up, are you leaning offense there? Or are you leaning special teams? Because if you're leaning offense, it's probably Hodgins. And if you're leaning special teams, it's probably Gentry. That's, that's when it gets tricky, if you have McKenzie. I think, I think you lean offense. And then you go back and you look at the other spots on the roster, other guys on the roster, and say, "Hey, I need you to cover kicks this week. I want you to give it a go." You know, what which I mean? is what they've done without Kumaro already. Right? They're, they go to other guys in the roster and they'll make some decisions at other position groups on the roster and say, "Hey, you're covering kicks this week. Let's go. You're and, up." And not to knock special teams, but offense is going to play 65, 70 plays a game. Special teams right. only going to play twenty-five to thirty. Right? Yeah. There's no question about it. And plus, you need a guy that is not going to be a hole in your special special teams. You know, you need a guy that whatever yeah so yeah i'm i don't have a problem with that either but if the guy's going to come up and you don't anticipate him playing at all on offense well that changes the equation as well and and if if tanner gentry is only a smidge better than isaiah hodgins on special teams but isaiah hodgins is way better offensively there's your answer right there you know what i mean now if tanner gentry's infinitely better than hodgins on special teams and hodgins 
until something happens, is going to have to play special teams, then that changes the equation. Yeah. So I, we don't know those gradient differences yeah. in their skill sets. So, but that, those are the considerations you're at. And I think when you get to that point, you need a guy on offense, you're going to look and say, okay, we need an extra DB up, or we're going to keep an extra linebacker up, or whatever. If Edmonds is down, we're going to keep an eye linebacker up. You know, maybe we're getting uh, we're getting Specter up this week anyway, so he'll help us on special teams. We don't need. We don't need Hodgins to play special teams. All right, we got a break because coming up next, Tailgate Friday. We'll let you know what you have on the menu for your tailgates on Sunday. That's coming up next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. It is Tailgate Friday, presented by Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Western New York, the official health care plan of your Buffalo Bills. Let's get to the list. What's on the menu from you this week from Faith? She says, wing dip. Have you all ever tried it with celery? Even if you don't like it, it adds the perfect crunch. Celery in the wing dip, Steve. What do you make of that? Celery in the wing dip. Yeah. I don't no. know if I like cooked celery. No, thanks. I'll, I'll bring my own. Yeah. How is it still crunchy? Oh, eating it with it. Okay. What? Oh, Using mean... it instead of a chip. Oh, okay. All right. I can get behind right. that. I, of course. Yeah. I'm I can get that. behind that. Yes, I, I was con- Sorry. I was confused. Faith. Sorry. That's our bad. Jack <laughs> says, cooking up some Andy Bomb Sammies at the tailgate this week. For those who don't know, that's hot lakeside Italian sausage patties topped with bacon chopped salami, fried hot peppers and onions, smothered in provolone and mozz and homemade hot sauce, all on a grilled garlic bun. Woo, doggy. All I'm going to say... I want one of those. That's your sodium intake for the month. You have (laughs) every salted cured meat you can have. I want that so bad right now. I want that so bad. That is so good. All right. It sounds awful. I'll see you Sunday. I'm going to be here right bright and early. I'll be here at 9 a.m. That sounds good. We'll see you back here on Monday at noon to break it all down. Enjoy the game.